Well, good morning, good morning, you guys. I'm Brian Agavino, lead pastor here at the Summit. It is great to have you here on uh, this cold Sunday morning, and uh, we're going to continue in our series on joy today. Let me read our passage for us, and then we'll pray. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer said this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith, perfecter of our faith, excuse me, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us we have not, please give us. And when we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So earlier this fall, uh, we had the opportunity, our family did, to go to Oxford, England, actually. I was taking a class over there, and I shared a little bit about that with you a few weeks ago. And had just an amazing time. It was a really great experience for us. The class was amazing. It was an awesome time as a family. Except for one tiny little thing that I want to share with you, and it's worth noting that I think of, or used to think of, myself as a pretty seasoned and good traveler. Foreshadow. (laughs) So, like I said, we had this amazing trip, and it's time to come home. So we get on the plane at Heathrow, we fly back to O'Hare. We get to O'Hare, and the very first thing you have to do is go through passport control. And we walk, come down the escalator to the passport control area and arrive at a line that is longer than any line I have ever seen in my entire life. Now, I am, as many of you know, a pretty optimistic person. And so we're looking at this line. We have two and a half hours till our flight leaves. And I'm like, Donner, we're good. Relax. It's fine. So we're in this line. It was 18 rows back and forth. So we're going, and you start doing the. We started to do the math after the fourth row. We're like, I'm not sure we're really going to make it. And people start freaking out, like, because they were going to miss their flights. So we get right up to. Finally, we get through passport control. We get through. We're trying to find our bags to go through customs. We get to customs. We turn our bags in there, and we have 45 minutes to get to our flight. Now, till it leaves, 45 minutes till it leaves, it's already boarding. We've gotten the text, your flight is boarding. So we at Chicago, see, I said all that without saying anything derogatory about O'Hare. You should be proud of me there. <laughs> so we get through, we're, we go up to, we have to change terminals. So we're trying to figure out where to change terminals. We finally figure it out. And this is where the story all starts to play out. We get to this place where we have to go through security again. And I'm looking through the different, there are four different places where you can go through security, and I'm like, that line, there's only one person in that line, let's go to that line. So we run over to this line, and it's this family that I am speculating that they have never been to an airport before in their lives. And so they had two young children, too. 
So we're in line. I mean, and now we're just 20 minutes from the plane leaving. So we're standing there in line, and it's, you know, they're like taking the kid's shoes off and trying to put it on the thing. And so Darby, or sorry, Aubrey, who's with us, she sneaks in front of them and goes through the line. And then Dondra jumps in between them, and she gets through. And then I'm last, and I'm kind of doing my thing, and I take my belt off, and blah, 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 blah. And then we get, finally get through, and my bag is marked, right? So it's gone through the thing, it's marked. Because what had I done? I left my water bottle in my bag. Rookie mistake. So... I'm telling Donna and Aubrey, I'm like, go to the plane, go to the plane. So they go to the plane, I'm standing there, and this TCA agent, TSA agent, whom I love, <laughs> he, you know, I mean, all this for a silly water bottle, you know, it's kind of a nice water bottle, so I'm waiting, he's like, we had to put it back through, so I'm waiting, I'm like, dude, I gotta get to my, so all, he brings it back through, and then I'm standing there, finally, whatever, we're just a few minutes away, and I'm like, I can't find my belt, so I, I'm looking through everything, I'm like, what did I, die? I can't believe this, so I'm, I finally give it up, and I decide I'm just gonna start running, so now, I'll, you know, in my season plan for traveling, I like to wear a little bit baggier pants. <laughs> so I was that guy running through the airport, right? I'm running through with my, you know, holding up, I literally holding up my pants. We get to the plane, Dondra had made, convinced them to wait, and then the, so this is, this is this interesting moment of what happens here. <clears throat> There's that walk of shame on the plane. <laughs> you guys are shaking your heads. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you're, yeah, they're all like, oh, it was you. <laughs> and that night, I'm laying in my bed and really turn this quickly here, I'm ashamed. I mean, here I was, I'm a seasoned traveler. I know how to do this thing. Who leaves his water bottle in his bag and who doesn't remember where his belt is? And who gets to the plane five minutes before it takes off so everyone else is going, oh, it was you. And I'm living in this real shame of, man, maybe I'm not who I thought I was all because of a water bottle, a belt, and a walk. You know, what's really interesting as I've been thinking through this message. When I got back, it's one of the stories that I told the most from our trip. I think so many of us are prone to tell our shame stories because we don't know what to do with them. I wonder what stories you tell about your life. Shame is powerful. I would venture to say that every single one of us in this room deal with shame. And we have areas of our lives that have made us who we are because of shame. Because we're ashamed of them or ashamed of an experience. Shame is 
complicated to define. And it, I, I need you guys to give me a little bit of help here because this topic that we're going to dig into today is incredibly complicated and we could spend many, many more weeks on it. And there's much more that we could talk about shame. And so I would try to narrow this down really specifically this morning. So there's more to say, which, which is what I need you to give me grace on. So just to start with what shame is. Shame, it, it helps maybe to understand that it's a little bit different than guilt. There's an overlap, perhaps. We, we think about shame and guilt going together. But guilt is more about behavior, something that you've done. Shame is more about how you see yourself. It's more internal. Guilt is judicial. It's being, this is what's happened, it's been done. Shame is relational. It's experiential. Guilt is something I did that's bad. This is really good. Guilt is something that I did that was bad. Shame says, I am bad. I am bad. Some of you are like, I thought we were talking about joy, Brian. So we did two weeks on joy. We talked about the act of rejoicing and why we should rejoice. And last week, DJ talked about expecting joy and how we understand joy and looking forward to what is to come. And these next two weeks, we want to dig into the harder parts of joy, where today we're going to talk about how shame is one of the greatest enemies of joy. And next week, we're going to talk about joy and suffering and what that looks like. But today, I want to dig into this idea of shame. And what I think the antidote to shame is, one of the antidotes or one of the things that can help us to have joy, the joy that Jesus wants us to have, the joy that he longs for us to have as we think about this Christmas season even, is to remember, to find, to reflect on what we sang about this morning very intentionally, but the joy of our salvation. That, that the action step this morning is that, that we would become a people who would regularly practice remembering and looking back to what happened when Jesus saved us. Now that word saved is such a loaded word in Christianity. It's a weird word for us to reflect on. And there's a lot of ways to help us understand what that means that Jesus saved us. But I, I would like to think about it this way this morning, that that word saved just means rescue. That basically what it means that we've been saved is that we've been rescued, that God saw our predicament and he put together a plan through his son to rescue us, to save us. Now there's a joy in being rescued. If you were drowning and, and you know, somebody came and rescued you and pulled you out, there's, there's, you'd be happy, you'd be joyful about that, right? There's something unique about this. And, and, but we have to understand that the rescuing that God did for us is more than just a whoo, we made it. That there's something more unique and powerful that he gives us in this rescuing. It's not just, I'm going to get you out of this, but God is also going to give us something that, can, that is the result of us being saved. That we receive this tremendous gift. And the tremendous gift is this, that I would say very simply, is that we, as his children, are loved and accepted. Everyone say that with me. Loved and accepted. One more time. Loved and accepted. That the joy of our salvation is this. That no matter what we have done, 
no matter what has been our shame, no matter what we are ashamed of, that Jesus pressed into that, he rescued us, and he says, you're loved and accepted here. Shame keeps us from feeling rescued, and shame keeps us from living as rescued people. I mean, I forgot my belt, I had a water bottle, and I'm walking this path of shame on the plane, and I'm wrestling with who I am. I mean, just for a moment here, if you could, not out loud, I want you to think about what would you have said to me? Think about that. Just, just right now in your own head and heart, you're, I'm sitting down with you, or I'm on Sunday. We show up. Hey, how was your trip? Great. Oh, we had this crazy experience. I'm running through the airport. And you recognize that I feel this shame. What would you say to me? How would you minister to me in that? Think about it just for a second here. So what about you? (laughs) What are you ashamed of today? What is causing you to feel shame? I want to invite you this morning to really take a risk with Jesus and to, to answer that question. Where is it that you feel like you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, there's something that you've done or something in your past or something that you are that isn't worthy of Jesus saying you're loved and accepted here. My proposition for us today, church, is that the way out of shame is to be restored in the joy of our salvation. So let's start by looking at how Jesus deals with shame. How did Jesus deal with shame? Well, we have this incredible verse in Hebrews chapter 12 where we're invited to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, where there are three things that we see. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So I want to start with that second one. What we see about Jesus and how he handles shame is it says he despised the shame. Now, despising, it's, it's a really a weird word. It's kind of a strange word for us to read here, so let me define it a little bit for us. It means to feel contempt for someone or something because it is thought to be bad or without value. So actually, some versions say the word scorn, which is also another word. Maybe you've heard that before. Jesus scorned the shame. He despised the shame. And maybe a more simple word to help us understand this is that he disregarded the shame. So uh, it's, it's this idea here that Jesus, what he's doing is he, he's seeing what the shame of the cross is going to be that he's going to have to face and he, he disregards it. He, he, he's not worried about it. He doesn't uh, put value on what it's going to do to him. 
He disregarded the shame. He didn't let it have power over him. And in, in fact, what it's saying here is he took it on. Now, for us, we can't avoid shame. He could have avoided shame. All the shame of the cross, what he did, knowing what he was going to take on for us, he, he disregarded it, he despised it, he scorned it. How? How? Well, shame was, this is really important, shame was powerless over Jesus because he knew himself fully and who he is, not only in himself, but to the Father. One more time, shame was powerless over Jesus because he knew who he was and who he was to God. So so shame is is a relational emotion that, so part of the remedy for anyone's shame is in relationship. We, this, is, this is what we have to remember. What does is, what is shame cause us to do? Push away relationship. And so what we see here is the reason why Jesus was able to enter into the shame of what was on the cross, taking on our sin, taking on all the shame that we deserve, the reason why he was able to enter into that is because of his perfect and unique and beautiful relationship with God the Father. It was Jesus' relationship with the Father that enabled him to despise the shame. And so the shame had no power over him to keep him from the rescue mission of salvation. Which leads us to the second thing, which is why did he do it? Why did Jesus despise the shame? Why did he even take that on himself? Well, it says here that he did it for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Well, what was the joy that was set before him? What was the joy that was set before him? I've heard there are three things. He was doing it to glorify God. He was doing it, the joy set before him was God will receive glory. The second thing is he was doing it so to accomplish the mission, that there was a mission that God had given him and he knew to do, that we're going to do this mission, and so the joy was that this would be complete. Or the third thing was, is that we... The joy set before him was the people who would experience salvation, that we would be saved. So which one is it? Yes, it's all of them, right? Why do we have to differentiate? Why can't it be all three? I like all three of those reasons for the joy set before him. That basically Jesus, what he was doing was he was saying, I'm going to take on this shame of the cross, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure all of the weight of what it means to think about all that you and I feel when we're ashamed of something. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give that value. I'm going to take it on. I'm going to step into shame. I'm going to take all of this on myself. Why? Why can I do this? Because on the other side of taking that on, there's something incredibly glorious that awaits me. There's this joy of glorifying God, accomplishing this mission of rescue, and seeing me and you loved and accepted. That part of the joy set before Jesus was you. Think about that for a second. Sometimes we need to be reminded of this, I think. Jesus took on all the weight of shame. He pressed into it. He took it on. And one of the reasons for that was that he wanted you to be free of the power of shame. I read this powerful prayer that a pastor wrote. 
He said this. He said, Jesus spoke to shame like this. Listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you, shame. You think you have power? Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You cover me now as with a shroud. Before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag, and I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. Jesus says, you are a fool, shame. You're a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering and will save my disciples, not destroy them. Shame, you are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. For farewell, shame, it is finished. We need to remind ourselves of how Jesus despised shame so that no matter what comes into our lives, we might feel loved and accepted. Which leads us now to us. So how do we deal with shame? Well, part of our problem is our approach to shame. Our approach to shame. Most of us the way we deal with shame, we all do this, all of us do this when we're ashamed, is we look in to deal with it or we look around to deal with it. This is, this is how we handle shame. We, we either look in, so I, I'm going to try to resolve this myself, or we look around. We need other people to help tell us something. Hey, no, 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 that, you don't need to feel that way. It's okay. It's all right. Don't be ashamed. And what we find in those things, the problem is, that's where shame comes from. Who was shaming me when I was getting on that plane? Nobody. I mean, they might have been, but it was mostly me that was shaming me. But some of us, all of us, have experienced shame from others. It, it happens all the time. We, we make a mistake and we, I mean, sometimes it's just it, it, playful, right? Like we make a mistake and then people will say something funny about us or say something to us. And depending on our ability to feel loved and accepted, Sometimes that can be extremely intense, and we'll take that shame on. I mean, many of us have been in situations where we have been shamed by people around us. And it causes us to think differently about ourselves. There's this great story about Wilt Chamberlain, actually, that I was reading about this week. Malcolm Gladwell did this uh, interesting study on Wilt Chamberlain. He was an amazing basketball player, and he, uh, but his weakness was free throws. He was really bad at free throws. And one year, in the 61-62 season, he decided to do something that Rick Barry did in free throws. If you know the name Rick Barry, he was, a very, he was one of the most prolific free throw shooters in, of all time in the NBA. And do you know how he shot free throws? Granny throws, like this. 
And Will Chamberlain decided in the 61-62 season he was going to shoot free throws like that. So he did. He shot free throws like this. And his percentage almost doubled in how many free throws he made. In fact, his, one of his most successful games, he scored 100 points in. He was 28 of 32 for free throws in that game. And that was the only season he did it. And he said, I was tired of people calling me a sissy. Because shame is so powerful. And so what happens? What do we try to do? We look in. We're like, no, just tell yourself you're okay. Just tell yourself you can do it. Just tell yourself you can handle it. And, and we try to convince ourselves we're not worthy of that shame, but what, what's the problem? We can't. We're not good enough to convince ourselves. Or we do what? We go to other people. And, and our struggle there is even in the church family, we find that those are the people that sometimes can often make us feel ashamed. Janet Bridgeforth, who's a part of our preaching cohort, she said something that I loved this week. She said, all that happens when we try to deal with our shame is that we treat it like rocks, papers, or scissors. Like a rock, we work at it, we try to fix it, we try to solve it. Like paper, we try to hide it. Or like scissors, we try to delete it. Just pretend it's not there. Just, just cut it out of our lives. And my proposition to all of us this morning, church, is that in all the ways that we feel shame, we have to learn how to look up to deal with our shame. There is still value. I, I'm not saying it's that, that, that doesn't mean we need relationship and we need to be able to look in and we need to be able to look around. But I think where those two strategies fall short is if we're not beginning with, if we're not starting with a looking up to who we are in Christ, to what Jesus has done, to his despising of the shame and to allowing him to be the first one to say you are loved and accepted. Maybe the greatest picture of this or help for us in this is the story of David. David was one of the most powerful kings in all of the history of Israel, and he messed up. He really messed up. He committed adultery. He took something that wasn't his. He used his power to commit evil. He manipulated a situation to have Bathsheba's husband killed. And, and myriads of other things we could talk about. And David was exposed. And what did David feel in that moment? He felt shame. And so, in God's graciousness, we have Psalm 51, which is a cry of shame to God. God, I feel ashamed. And at the heart, in the middle of this song, David cries out to God, He's saying, God, I need you to help me deal with this shame. And what does he say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. That what David knows deep, deep down is that what he needs is he needs to be reminded of what it means that God has saved him. 
And in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about David looking forward to who Jesus was and what he would bring for him. And so the same thing is true for us, that what we need to do is we need to look up, that we need to look to God and what he has accomplished in and through Jesus to help us deal with our shame, to not feel ashamed. It's interesting, most of us in our shame, we hide from God. Which says a lot about how we understand God and his response to us. Some of you are hiding right now from God. Whatever it is that, that shame that you're carrying, it, it is sin in your life. It is something that you're pretending isn't there, that you don't want God to mess with. And we get into these places, don't we, where, where we feel like the very last place we can go is to God. So what do we do? How do we look up? Andy Casagrande, he's a cameraman. He swims underwater, cameraman kind of guy. And he's one of the primary Shark Week cameramen. And he had this really interesting interview that I saw. And they were asking him, so what do you do when a shark starts swimming at you. Now, your response to that would be to swim the other way, that, to, to, to go the other way. And so he said this. He said, well, the reality is you shouldn't act like prey because if you act like prey, they will treat you like prey. Everyone in the ocean swims away from sharks. So the trick is to swim directly at the shark with the camera. My practical call to us, church, is that when we feel shame, we need to swim directly at it in the presence of God. That, that when we feel like we're not worthy, when we have those moments of feeling ashamed because of our sin, feeling ashamed because of what other people have said about us, when we feel ashamed just because we're, we don't feel like we're living up to who we are, what, what is our typical response to that? When that shark of shame is swimming towards us, we typically turn and try to run away from it. Hide it, delete it, rock, paper, scissors it, whatever we can do. And I would offer to us that because of Jesus, it is the only true place where we can bring our shame to the feet of the cross. And what does Jesus say to us there? Shame on you. That's what we feel like, he says, isn't it? Shame on you. And what Jesus says is, no, no, no. Picks us up and he says, loved and accepted, I despise the shame for you. You were the joy set before me. There's no sin so grave, there's no shame so great that what I accomplished on the cross, it can't be dealt with. So we face shame by looking up. Why? Because there's only one 
place in all of life that someone has the power and authority to say to you, you are loved and accepted. That's how our verse in Hebrews 12 ends. Where is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Because of what he accomplished on the cross, he now is able to say to all of us, shame has no power over you. I have now made you loved and accepted. There's only one place where shame has been dealt with, so Jesus has the right and authority to say you are loved and accepted. So let me ask you again. What are you ashamed of this morning? Maybe the answer to having joy and being joy-filled this Christmas is that we need to face our shame, to swim towards our shame, and let Jesus remind us that we're forgiven, that we're welcomed, that we're loved, because he dealt with the shame. And how do we do that? It's a great question. I, I, I really wrestled with this part. You know, Shame is emotional, and it's not just cognitive. I'll expose something about us as a church. We are a very cognitive church. Part of that's my own fault. I'm a thinker. I I like thinking logically, talking logically. And how do you deal with shame? Well, shame is emotional. Shame is experiential. It's relational. So, So how do we press into it? Well, David wrote a poem. David wrote a bunch of songs. To undo the power of shame, we have to experience the wonder of the joy. It has to be something experiential. It's important to say here that what we need is we need to think very practically about how can we emotionally experience and engage the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. So it, it might be singing a song. It, it might be writing a poem. It might, might be doing some art. There are different ways that we can do this. It's interesting. I, I had really had not been thinking about this sermon, but this story plays very beautifully. So I lived in the shame of being a bad traveler for about 48 hours. And I really started to, I had this moment where I was like, it's, it's almost like I'm letting this experience totally define our trip. And I was like, that's ridiculous. We had an amazing trip. So I did this exercise. It, it just kind of happened. It was a little bit by mistake. So I, I listed out all of the ways that I was feeling shame. And then what I did next to those things was I wrote all of the ways that Jesus dealt with that shame. Now, that's still all cognitive. And then I did this. This is weird. It's even weird to tell you guys this. I just started crossing it out, the shame. I was like, and I kind of got, like, I was, I, it wasn't intentional. Like, it just was coming out of me. I was like, no. Leaving a water bottle doesn't define me. Running around the airport with my pants falling down. Because what did Jesus say to me? He said, that shame has no power over you. I love you. Now, Now, imagine if we could really press into the heart of Jesus with our sin like that. And, 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 And experience and feel Jesus saying to you, 
I know that you've lied. I know that you've manipulated. I know that you've looked at pornography. I know that you have been angry and mad and manipulative. And you know what? Bring your shame and all of that right here because you are loved and accepted here no matter how much shame and evil you've done. That is the radicalness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you guys. That he's not saying, I'm ashamed of you. He will never say that to any of us because he's taken the shame upon himself at the cross. There is nothing more shaming than what happened to him on the cross. And because he accomplished that, he's now able to say to every single one of us, you are loved and accepted. Church, I so long for us to move towards joy. We have to face shame head on. And the only way to do that is to look to the one who faced the power of shame head on. And before I, I close, it, it really is important to add this really significant mo uh, aspect of shame that in really stepping into this, yes, there are, I would ask you this week to, to really pay attention to where you feel shame. And when you feel that, to step into what, how Jesus speaks to that shame. And sometimes... Those shame-inducing things that are in our lives that have been around for a very long time and are very hard, we need a counselor to help us process that shame. So, so I would say to you, like, if you have some of those shame-inducing things in your life that you've been wrestling with for a long, long time, sometimes we need someone else to help us look up. That that's the beauty of what a counselor can actually do is, is to help us have voice and answer to how we can turn our heads and hearts to who we are in Christ. And, and if you need help with that, our team would love to help point you in that direction. But let me remind you this morning this. You have been buried and raised with Christ and invited to walk in the newness of life. And may the joy of your rescuing be restored today as you and feel the embrace of your Father, as you and feel him saying to you, this shame, you, you can give it to me. Shame is, it's hard, you guys. It is so hard. But I believe wholeheartedly it is the one thing, it is one of the major things that keeps us from experiencing joy. What are you ashamed of? Ooh. What's that? What are you ashamed of? I, I'm going to invite you, even right now in this moment, we're going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to see if you can experience the grace and beauty of Jesus saying to you, you're loved and accepted this morning. So let, let's pray if we would. Uh, I, I just want to invite you in this moment to um, imagine whatever it is that causes you to feel shame. I just want you to imagine holding that in your hand. And now I want you to ask yourself, is the cross enough to set you free from that shame.
And if it is, can you just right now ask Jesus to take that shame from you? And now, would you just engage your imagination and imagine Jesus wrapping his arms around you, just super tight, just squeezing you, holding on to you and saying into your ear, here you are loved and accepted. You are my joy. And as your feeling is embraced, What comes to mind for you? I hope it's an expression of joy. Father, help us as your body to have the joy of our salvation restored. That the beauty of our salvation is that we've been freed from those things and that shame no longer has power. Father, may, may we become a joy-filled people because Jesus despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And we can be fully assured of that because he sits at your right hand. May we live in the beauty and the wonder and the majesty and the experience of that as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.